There are times we meet someone new for the first time and uh, the initial conversation is sometimes hard work. Uh, we are both trying to gauge uh, what questions should I ask? You're trying to build up the conversation. You begin with your name, the usual. You ask them what do they do for a living. You try and you get to know that person. And then you suddenly discover that, oh, you have something in common with them. Maybe you live in the same locality or you go, you've gone to the same school in the past or you follow the same sport, you enjoy maybe the same hobbies, um, you have mutual friends or friend, um, you enjoy maybe talking about politics or you, you're both single or actually, oh, you're both around the same age and you can kind of get along. Or maybe you speak the same language. There's many things that bring us together, some things that are common to us. And so the conversation becomes quite engaging. And it's no longer hard work. We often gravitate to people that are similar to us, people that are like us. Why does this happen? It's because we found something in common with them, isn't it? Having similar interests and characteristics or experiences with someone else enhance our relationships and the relationships that we form. The caveat is our similarity sometimes causes tension too. We can be so similar, it can cause a bit of competition. Sometimes commonality comes with its blessings and also challenges. All of us have something similar here this morning. We're all humans, I believe, right? <laughs> no one's from outer space, right? But something more in common when you're in the faith, when you're a Christian, is that you are united by Christ. That is something that brings us together. That's why we're here this morning. So there is something and someone that unites every Christian. From times past, the saints that have gone ahead of us, saints now, Christians to come, our faith in Christ. And so it's often easier talking to someone when you know they love Jesus like you love Jesus. You find something in common immediately as you begin that conversation. And so if you're trusting in Jesus today, you have something in common that supersedes all natural things that you may have in common. All our differences find harmony at the feet of the cross of Calvary, where we see the pinnacle of the outpouring of God's love towards us. And so here lies our title this morning, Grace for Common Faith. And Paul writes, as we remind ourselves, Titus 1, 1 to 4, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. And so 
When we've looked at this passage in the past, here are some of the things we've already established. Paul is saying, I am a servant of God, a slave of God. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, called not just as a church planter, but he is primarily called and chosen by God as his messenger to his people. And why is Paul called to be a slave and an apostle? He says, for God's elect. And so God works in the life of his servant and apostle to share the truth with the unconverted so that they would hear the gospel and receive the truth of Christ. God's people grow continually by hearing the word of truth and knowing the word of truth. So that those who are made alive by the truth go on to live a life of godliness. God's plan of salvation was initiated before we ever came to being. That's what the Bible says. Verse 2, promised before the ages began. So God saves people through the proclamation of the truth, the sharing and the preaching of God's word. Verse 3 says, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our saviour. And so we ask, for what purpose? Verse 2, in hope of eternal life. So this is the hope that's not a maybe, but it's a certainty. The hope of eternal life. And finally, what underpins God's promise of eternal life is God's character. Why? It says here in verse 2, in hope of eternal life in which God, who never lies. God never lies because he's faithful because he's good, because he's kind, because he's loving. And so what is this relationship between our faith and the sovereignty of God? And this morning we want to see two things. Grace unites us with God and grace grace unites us in God. So grace unites us with God and grace unites us in God. And so as we look at the first point, Paul, in verse 1 to 3, has stated his credentials. He has stated the authority to which he has been appointed as an apostle. And he tells us his calling is for the sake of God's people. And so we see, firstly, his identity. He's a slave and an apostle. We see his mission. He's presenting the gospel so that God's chosen people may turn to him. And finally, his motivation, hope of eternal life in heaven. And so when we arrive in verse 4, we can split this verse into two, A and B. The first part reveals when whom Paul is addressing. He's writing to Titus. And part B, we see is Paul's greeting to Titus. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. How easy it is to overlook verse 4. Paul's greeting here. In the same way we hold the importance of personal greetings when we meet a friend, we must examine Paul's greeting here to Titus also. And so we begin with the context of this greeting. These two words, grace and peace, are the centre of the gospel, the truth of salvation. We ask, what is grace? What is grace? We would say unmerited favour. And indeed, it is. It's undeserved. God pouring out his love. It is God extending a hand of favour when we don't deserve it. 
He demonstrates patience with our flaws, with our character, with our sins. And so biblical grace in verse 4 speaks of that, that God has, this grace has an origin. It's not in the sense of creation, but a divine appointed appointment. God has appointed this grace. It is a gift. This grace is timeless. It is eternal grace. Grace from times past, present grace, and future grace. Yet it works in time. It's a wonderful thing. This grace is, has an enabling power for us to do and to walk with God. And this grace is a person. This grace is a person. And so we look firstly at grace appears. Grace appears. Where does this grace originate? How do we know it is a gift? We notice Paul writes this grace is from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. But to help us work out what Paul has in mind, we must look at Titus 2, verse 11 to 13. Please turn with me there. It reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And turn with me also to Titus 3, 4 to 7, which reads, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So our work and definition of grace here, as we see in Titus 3, verse 4, the goodness and loving kindness of God. So we look again at two, Titus 2, 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And we turn back to chapter 3, verse 4. What grace appeared? The goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Saviour. And so God the Father sent his begotten Son, Jesus Christ, as his grace to us. See, when Adam sinned, humanity died. The life we were supposed to live and to have was damaged. That relationship we were meant to have with God damaged we turn to ungodly things ungodly ways which exchange the worship of the true and living God for idols dead things this good order of creation was tampered with since then evil passions rule the heart of man the wind of worldly passions murder sexual immorality anger Envy, jealousy, corrupt speech, sensuality, divisions, and the like. See, the sinful nature we have inherited from Adam means that all, all humanity are spiritually dead when we are born. 
spiritually dead when we're born. Like a corpse has no breath when we are born. Our nostrils have no spiritual breath. Our eyes can't see God. Our ears can't hear God. Our desires are not for God. Our minds are set on worldly things and worldly ways. And our heart is a heart of stone, rebellious against God. Yet the all-knowing God, the mighty God, rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, promises his grace even before we, were, we even existed. From time past, from ages before, he sent forth his grace in the person of Jesus Christ, our saviour, to redeem us from our own godly and rebellious ways. He paid the wages for our sins and he forgave us our sins. We have received forgiveness, a pardon for our unrighteousness. And so when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, Bible says he saved us. So Paul writes this to Titus, but also to every reader of this, of God's word. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners. That's you and I. Augustus Top Lady writes in the hymn that we sang earlier, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, saviour, or I die. Do you know this grace of God? Do you know this grace of God as this grace ministered to you? Grace that died on the cross for sinners. As this grace reached out to you, have you renounced ungodliness in your life and worldly passions? Are you still trying to live this life on your own terms? To know your creator, you must turn away. You must turn away from this dead life. The Bible says we are dead in trespasses. Dead in our sins. Dead is everyone that is walking in the way of the world. But how does one receive the grace of God? This gift of grace in Christ. How is the unity that we once had with God restored? Well, grace not only appears, but grace saves Grace saves. When the grace of God appeared, he saved us. And whilst we have something in common in that we are all humans here, but we're not all of the faith. True unity only comes by sharing a common faith. Not everyone has received the life-giving and life transforming grace of God. Why? Because there's no doubt when grace appeared, it saves. He saves. 
Christ has come. Christ has lived a perfect life of obedience, even to death on the cross. He shed his blood. The blood that Jesus spilt, not wasted. He died on the cross, but he rose again. He defeated sin, death, Satan. He saved us from the wrath of God. Why? Because of God's goodness. Not because of anything that we have done, but his loving kindness. The state of the walking dead. So now I've got a colleague that loves that program, The Walking Dead. I've never watched it myself. But truly the state of the walking dead is one that lives selfishly to satisfy self. One that follows and is ruled by Satan and his cohorts. Living in disobedience to God through ignorance or denying who God is. And being carried away by evil passions. Passions of the flesh and desires of the body and mind. Why do we need saving? Why do you need Jesus, you ask? After all, I get on fine without him. He's just a man that lived 2,000 years ago. What does he have to do with me now in my present situation? What's he got to do with my life now? We need saving because our standard of good is not good enough. Our standard of good is not good enough. You may be a good person. You may be a law-abiding citizen. You may stop at every zebra crossing for someone to cross over. You may do the needful and help people. You may respect your parents. You may give someone help in time of need. But no one's goodness is good enough. No one's goodness is able to save them. God's goodness is the standard of good. And the Bible says that we have all fallen short of this standard. And Jesus is the standard of goodness. There is no good in us outside of Christ. You and I need grace because we are not good. We need grace because we are helpless. Outside of following Jesus, we are dead in sin. Helpless in our pursuit of sinful desires and passions. Falling in lust, temptation, lies, wickedness. I've been there. You're just chasing, but never achieving. Seeking satisfaction from the world. And nothing satisfies other than in Christ. It's all futile. It's all chasing the wind. We reject the guidance of God. We can't help ourselves but to eat the slice of sin that looks so tempting. We are helpless in our pursuit of worldly ambitions. Seeking, seeking satisfaction and rest from our toil. We work hard that one day we would then rest. But when does the rest ever come? You and I need grace because 
true satisfaction and rest comes in Christ. We need grace because we think our works or deeds will get us into heaven. This grace is not bought by our goodness. It's not received by those who act like they are okay. I'm fine. I can get on with life without God. I can help myself. I have it all figured out. I have my life all planned out. The Bible says, be careful. No one knows tomorrow. He that says, I will do this or I will do that. Grace cannot be earned or worked for as some kind of mortgage. Some type of mortgage that we pay off over time with our good deeds and work. No. Grace is a sovereign work of God through Christ for his people. The grace of God appeared of his own will, of his own purpose, of his own plan. And so we remind ourselves Ephesians 2, 4, which says... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. And so we see God's grace causes him to love sinners, even when we had no spiritual worth, no spiritual life. God's mercy and great love made us alive. Not just alive, but he made us alive together with Christ. It speaks of unity with Christ. Salvation is a regeneration work of God, the Holy Spirit, to be born again. To receive a new life with Christ. We are brought into relationship with God the Father through Jesus, our mediator. He stands in the gap for us. What we could never do. He stands as our saviour, our mediator. And without union with Christ, there is no salvation or hope beyond this world. And so Ephesians 2 continues in verse 8, as we all know it. Most of us would have heard this. For by grace we have been saved. By grace you are saved through faith. And so the grace of God reaches out for us in the raging sea of sin. He stretches out his hands. He stretches out his hands before, as the sin engulfs us. That hand of favour reaches out to pull us out from that deadness. But the grace of God appears and sends forth his saving grace. And he pulls us from destruction. And he resuscitates us. Faith is the conviction that God exists. No person can fully say that God is he. God, God is he, who he says he is. God opens our eyes. He reveals himself. And the Bible makes it clear that we have received, we receive eternal salvation through faith in Christ. And only by his work on the cross. And so the power of God that resurrected Jesus is the same power that resurrects every true believer of God. Faith is a gift from God himself. And so the grace appears, grace saves, but grace brings peace. Grace brings peace. All true followers of Jesus have this faith. 
There is no one body. There is, there is only one body, rather. There's only one body, one spirit, one Lord, Jesus Christ. One faith that's coming to us all. Faith in Jesus unites us with God and the unity we have with God brings peace. Grace brings peace. Every Christian has this external grace, external peace and internal peace also. And so this peace that we're talking about, the Greek word is Irene. I don't know if that's where the, my Jamaican friends get the word, I'm Irene. You know, I'm Irene. Because there's a sense there that there's a calmness, there's a peace. But this biblical peace speaks of binding together. God's grace binds believers to God. And furthermore, Paul primarily addresses here in verse 4 that there is a blessing here. That this harmony that we receive through grace helps us to continue in grace. Helps us in our life. Helps us in service. And so Titus already has already received this grace and peace of God. And so Paul greets him with this wonderful greeting and prays for him. Grace and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Saviour. All Christians have this peace with God. This external peace. The type of peace that God gives that no one and no enemy can give. The type of peace that God makes friends with us who were his enemies before. The type of peace that causes us to rest at the table with God. To have true fellowship with God. We have union as well as communion. That each day we don't fear God in the sense of we're scared of God. But there's a reverence, respect for who God is because of the peace that we have with him externally. It's harmony with God. We can love God because there is no enmity between him and us. Our spiritual destination postcode has changed. We were once heading to hell. Now we're in his kingdom. That's the peace that we have externally. We deserve punishment, but Jesus paid for our sins with his life and for our benefits. And so we can be with him forever. Peace is one of the effects of salvation that grace brings. Do you know this peace? Do you have this peace? Peace that springs forth from the blessing of grace received. Or if not, God the Father through his, Jesus, through his beloved Son, Jesus, offers you this peace. Peace that is able to bring you into his family. God does not want you to remain outside of his family. He doesn't want you to remain in your sins. He asks you to come into his family. He desires that you receive this peace. Secondly, we have, we have the peace of God, which is internal. Have you tried everything that the world has to offer? Are you searching for true peace in your situation? Do you have questions as to why you're here on earth? Why you're here in this moment? Jesus offers you this peace 
The type of peace that the ups and downs of life cannot take away. The situations of life, the bombardment of life, they can't take this peace away. The peace that rests on God's promises and his goodness and not our goodness. The peace of contentment in Jesus, whether I abound or abase in Christ, I'm content. The peace of God that endures, that perseveres because of the grace of God. The peace of your final destination. Peace in your soul because God is on your side. Do you have this peace? Are you seeking this peace? We all need this peace. Titus, this book is written here because Paul is trying to say to us we need God's grace and his peace in our families, in our church, in our workplaces, in where we put our hands to the plough. We need this peace all around us. You see, Paul writes grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour to Titus because they share the same faith in Jesus. And so Paul's blessing to Titus can be read like this. May the grace of God which you have received from God the Father through the atonement of your sins by Christ our Saviour enable you and empower you to do what? What does this grace and peace empower you to do? Well, the rest of the book of Titus explains this to us. It reveals how this grace and peace should help Titus as well as those of us are reading this passage. See, the rest of the book of Titus reveals this. It's telling Titus how to appoint elders, how to rebuke false teachers, how to proclaim sound doctrine, how to remind other Christians to be zealous for good works at home, in the church, in our workplaces, in the world at large. This grace is enabling. Christian, for you to be godly, for you to live a godly life, for you to persevere in knowing the truth of God, for you to keep looking to Christ, for you to rest in his promises, for you to serve God in the church, in your home, at work, in your community, takes the sanctifying grace of God. We cannot do it in our own strength. Growing in fellowship with God is the key to fulfilling God's will. Grace unites us to God externally and internally for eternal life. Grace unites us to God eternally. We also need grace upon grace. We need grace upon grace to train us to renounce ungodliness. The Bible says that we must work out our salvation. The Bible says that we must train ourselves onto good works. Train ourselves onto godliness. And so we need grace. We need grace to live self-controlled lives. To abstain from evil. To wait for the blessed hope of eternal life. The second coming of our Lord and Saviour. And so to recap... 
Grace unites us with God. How? Because grace appears, grace saves, and grace brings peace with God and the peace of God. And so our final point this morning, grace unites us in God. And so as we remind ourselves again, verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. We looked firstly at that part B, but we want to look now at part A. Paul calls Titus my true child in a common faith. And in doing so, he establishes three things. He backs Titus with his apostolic authority that Christ has called him to. And with that said, he describes his relationship with Titus as one of a spiritual father to a spiritual son. And thirdly, and most importantly, he's saying that they have a common faith. A common faith. A faith that is common. And so we must remind ourselves of who Titus is. Titus, one of two young disciples of Paul. The other that we know is Timothy. They both served alongside Paul as his messenger, as messengers and and those that travelled with him on his mission trips. And Titus was a Gentile, and we know Paul, a Jew. Ordinarily, in the context and the times that we're speaking in, didn't necessarily mix. Titus travelled with Paul across a few of his mission trips. And many times... We know that even Titus would go to the Corinthians with the letters as a messenger for Paul. When Paul was released from prison, who was there? Titus. Titus was there to accompany accompany him and with him to go to Crete, where we find ourselves in Titus. And then Paul says to him, I have left you here to appoint elders in every town there. To teach sound doctrine, he asks him to pastor the sheep, God's people, drive out away the wolves and the foxes. See, Paul loved Titus dearly. Paul writes to Titus knowing that he would be up against some very vile people, a young pastor. And he's saying to him, may grace and peace enabling grace and peace be with you in this work, in this service. You're up against people that I know that are defiled, not willing to yield to proper authority, deceivers of the brethren, the people in Crete are, liars, boasters, who profess to know God, but deny him by their works. And so he assures him and gives him his full backing. And Paul calls him my true child in the faith. A term to reveal a true convert. A true convert, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And Titus, through the ministry of Paul, had come to repentance and faith by the preaching of the word. And so Titus is an example of the grace and the peace of God at work. And he's saying, now you go and preach and testify of this grace and peace. 
He's saying Titus to stand for Christ. So Titus stands for this common faith. They work mutually, hand in hand, binded together in Christ for the love of Christ and for the sake of God's people. It's common faith that we're referring to. It's a communal, shared faith of all true followers of Christ. The faith that brings us from all walks of life, from all languages, from all people, tribes, nations, to create for his... God creates us as a people for his own good pleasure, to testify of his excellencies, the grace of God that unites one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Every Christian has this true faith. See, our heritage in Christ Jesus unites us together in God. And so as we read Paul's endearing words of Titus here, it's one of a companion walking together for the sake of the gospel, living together, sharing life together, in the prison and out of prison, in the mission work, and also in the mundane of life. Just as Titus is a true spiritual child of Paul in the common faith, every believer is a true child of God through Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus is our grace personified. Jesus is our peace. What is so great about this union that we have in Christ? What is it's, what's so great about it for us as believers? Well, all Christians have a new life. We have a new life in Christ. Our old life gone. Our old self has been done away with. We have a new life, a new way, a new and abiding way in Christ. Our life of hardness, our life of sensuality, our practice of immorality and the like has been done away with. Christ has put on us a new self. He has created us a new body. We are a new person in Christ, full of his righteousness full of his peace and holiness. In this new life, we walk not alone. God puts us in families. God puts us together as companions in Christ. Why? So he testifies of the adoption that we have in Christ, that we have been adopted into his family. All Christians walk in love through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Titus' relationship the relationship is, is one of a Christ-like relationship and love. As Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, we should also be imitators of this love. We submit to one another out of reverence in Christ. We bear one another's burdens, as Paul did for Titus and Titus did for Paul. We work heartily for the Lord and his purpose not thinking about the hardship or what we will face, but rather that we have a host of brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are walking together this journey, that you can stand in prayer for me, I can stand in prayer for you, that we can encourage each other and build each other up, 
That's the love and unity that we have. That we are not by ourselves. No one should ever feel alone. Christ has adopted us into his family. And family love one another. Family walk together. Family work together for the purpose of God's plan and his goodness. We resolve to serve the Lord and supply, and he supplies every strength. Even in weakness, we can look to the Lord. We are zealous for good works. Not the type of work that we put our hands to, but works that include godliness, righteous living, self-controlled life. We live with an eternity in view. So we don't look just here horizontally, but when we look above, everything here just seems faint. The things that we achieve or we don't achieve mean not much when we think about the glory and the power and the splendor and the majesty of God. He is above all things. He is greater than all things. He has loved us so dearly. So why do we live with our minds set on earthly things and not our minds set set on things that are above? Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ alone. So let's not be conformed to this world. Are you seeking to know this grace and truth? John 1.12 says this as we close. But to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, not the will of man, but of God. Jesus asks you to turn from your sins. Turn from eternal punishment that only leads to hell. Turn from the way that seems pleasing, seems comforting, seems like that's all I know. I'm comfortable. He's saying, turn to him. It may look difficult. Maybe you have Christians in your life and the road looks difficult for them. But the road is never difficult for those who have Jesus as a companion. For those who has Jesus as a friend, as a king and a lord, who has promised an inheritance that's so beautiful, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, what he has in store for those who love him. If you turn to Jesus, what awaits you is sublime. It doesn't what, what you experience here does not compare to what you have in Christ. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, our faith, our peace, our hope is in Lord Jesus alone. He alone gives grace upon grace. The Bible says, from his fullness, he gives grace upon grace. Grace and truth come through our Lord Jesus Christ. The law came. The prophets came. But when grace appeared, when Christ appeared, when the truth appeared, when the life, eternal life appeared, he saved us. 
That is true life. That is true living. So let us not grow weary. Let us not grow weary in doing good to one another. The Bible says, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why? Because grace unites us with God. Grace unites us in God. And so we close with the greeting that Titus receives from Paul. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.